Mr. Colombo, are you a boss of the mafia? No, I am not. Is there a mafia? No, there is not. Works notorious Gambino crime family. The Lucchese crime family. The alleged boss of the Bonanno crime family. Colombo crime family. The Genovese crime family is the Ivy League of, of the five families. There's nothing beats being a mafia boss. It's uh, better than being a Hollywood star. You're listening to This Day in the Mob. We are the only daily mafia history podcast bringing you the biggest events in the mob from this very day in history. As always, I am your host, John Curran, and today is the 28th of July, 2022, and we are headed back 42 years to the very day to find out what happened on This Day in the Mob. As the old saying goes, God does not punish the son for the sins of the father. Even in the case of Gambino family captain and future boss John Gotti. This was just a horrific and tragic accident. Gotti's middle son Frank, who was only 12 years old at the time, was riding a mini bike that belonged to his friend Kevin McMahon in March of 1980 when he darted out into the middle of the road. The blinded driver couldn't see the young Gotti and struck the boy with his car. The innocent child of John Gotti was declared dead at the scene and police ruled that it was not the driver's fault. It was simply a horrific accident. And surprisingly, that's how the famously ill-tempered John Gotti felt too, for the time being. Up until this day, July 28, 1980, when the driver of that car that killed his son, John Favara, disappeared, never to be seen again. John Favara was just a regular working class guy. He was a husband and a father of two adopted sons. He worked as a furniture salesman whose only connection to organized crime or to the mafia was having a gangster as his next door neighbor. That gangster was the infamous Gambino mobster, John Gotti. John Gotti's son, Junior, and John Favara's sons even hung out and they were friends. And for all intents and purposes, John Gotti's son, Frankie Gotti, was just a regular 12-year-old boy. He didn't know and probably didn't even care what his father was or what he did for a living. He cared about sports. He cared about playing with his friends. That day for the young Frank Gotti should have been a joyous one. He had just found out that he made the football team and was overjoyed to share the news with his friends. He met up with the neighborhood boys of Howard Beach, Queens, and he hopped on his friend's minibike. Buzzing around off the highs of making the football team and just the highs of being a kid. Frankie darted into the street where neighbors contend there's a known blind spot for oncoming traffic. As Frankie drove into the unseen traffic, his neighbor, John Favara, returning home from work, was coming up on that same blind spot. 
Favara later claimed to be momentarily blinded by the afternoon sun. Couple the blinding sun with the blind spot and the darting gaudy, and we have the horrific, tragic accident that brought us to this day. Police and paramedics rushed to the scene, and they worked on the young Gotti, but there wasn't much he could do. Frankie Gotti lay dead on the street. Law enforcement investigated, and they ruled that Favara was not at fault. They ruled it a tragic accident. But in her book, John Gotti's daughter, Victoria Gotti, would say that Favara was drunk that day when he hurt her brother. She claimed he was so drunk that he dragged him under his car for 200 feet, not stopping until neighbors jumped on his car, forcing him to. She also claimed that the driver, John Favara, was, quote, an asshole about the situation until he realized it was John Gotti's son he hit. But this is most likely a dramatized version of the events for her book, because upon investigation and discussion with witnesses, the police determined this not to be the case. They did not charge Rivara with any wrongdoing and ruled him not at fault. As the agonizing days passed and the grieving mother of Frankie Gotti stewed, she would take a litany of different medications and once reportedly had to go to the hospital to get her stomach pumped. It didn't help matters for her when the perhaps too cheap, insensitive, or just too stupid John Favara never even got his car fixed from the accident and Frankie's grieving mother Victoria was forced day after day to stare out her window at her neighbor's house and in his driveway see the damaged vehicle that killed her son. She alleges that Favara never even sent her a card, never came to apologize, never nothing. But that proved to be untrue as Favara did go over to try to apologize, but Victoria Gotti assaulted him with a baseball bat and chased him away, allegedly even sending him to the hospital. Victoria Gotti wasn't the only one who wanted to hurt John Favara. A few days removed from the incident, an anonymous woman called police telling them John Favara was going to be, quote, eliminated. Favara initially brushed the police's warnings off, but then he started to receive numerous death threats and threatening phone calls from intimidating men. Somebody even went into his house and wrote the word murderer in big red spray paint on his Oldsmobile. John Favara had a friend who was connected in the mob, and he gave his buddy some advice. Move. Quick. So Favara put up his house for sale and was eager to get out of the Howard Beach neighborhood. He was set to sell his house in two days. At the same time Favara was in the process of moving, the Gaudis, especially Mother Victoria, were seeming to get worse and worse. So, conveniently, in late July, John Gotti decided to take his family on a vacation to Florida. And while he was 1,500 miles away in Fort Lauderdale, on this very day 42 years ago, July 28, 1980, the man who hit and killed his young son would disappear, never to be seen again. 
Witnesses say that John Favara was last seen leaving work when he was assaulted by burly men and thrown into the back of a van. Nobody knew what happened to the man after that, but everybody had their guesses. The feds, of course, questioned Gotti, who had the perfect alibi of being away in Florida at the time of his neighbor's disappearance. He would tell the feds as they questioned him in his infamous Bergen Hunt and Fish social club that he wasn't sorry the guy was missing and he wouldn't be sorry if he turned up dead. His wife, Victoria Gotti, echoed those statements when she talked to the press saying she didn't know what happened to Favara, but she certainly isn't sorry if something did. John Favara was declared dead in abstentia in 1983 and most figured he'd went the way of Jimmy Hoffa, just another mafia disappearance act, and we'd never really know what happened to him. That was until a crew member of John Gotti's decided to flip and testify against him. Richie Gomes, a former driver of Gotti's, told police his account of what happened on this very day 42 years ago. According to Gomes, Members of Gotti's Bergen crew hopped into a van to abduct Favara while others drove two crash cars. Mobsters use what are called crash cars while doing any piece of work, whether it be hits or robberies or whatever. They use these crash cars to stymie any potential pursuers or the cops who are trying to intervene in the crime, allowing their partners to make a clean getaway. According to Gomes, top killers in the crew, including Charles Carneglia, Willie Boy Johnson, Jeannie Gotti, Angelo Ruggiero, and Iggy Alonna, would beat John Favaro with a 2x4 outside his job and throw him into a van where they subsequently killed him. While the abduction was taking place, one Gotti crew member would hop into John Favaro's car, take it to Charles Carneglia's auto body shop, where it was subsequently crushed and disposed of. The informant claims the body was then put in a barrel that was filled with cement and dumped into the Atlantic Ocean. Gomes claims it was up to him to call John Gotti in Florida and let him know that the job was done. He called his captain the next day to tell him that his revenge had been meted out by using a predetermined code phrase, my daughter is flying in to let Gotti know that Favara was dead. Now, it's important to note that Richie Gomes' story flip-flopped a bit, as well as conflicted with another crew member who was informing at the same time. Gomes would go on to recant his statement, but the feds still tried to use that statement in another case against Gotti and Carniglia. Joseph Carrazzo, a mob lawyer for Charles Carniglia and Gotti ripped the feds and prosecutors apart for picking and choosing the informant's information to better fit their version of events. For a while, that was the main story circulating the mob world, until 2009 when, during a courtroom testimony, an old friend from a tragic day in 1980 appeared. Kevin McMahon the very same kid who lent John Gotti's son the minibike that ultimately killed him, testified in court. 
Kevin McMahon grew up to be a hood who was adopted by Charles Carneglia's brother, John, making him the adopted nephew of Charles. And he testified that Charles Carneglia was responsible for at least five murders that he was aware of and two which he claimed to be present for. He would claim under oath that Favaro was killed by Gotti's top and most diabolical killer, his uncle, Charles Carneglia. Now, Charles Carneglia was truly a deranged, sicko killer, and he's currently serving life for four murders. According to the informant, Carneglia abducted and shot Favara, and then wanted to leave absolutely zero trace of his body, dissolved it in a barrel of acid. He also claims that the demented Carneglia even put some of Favara's bones in a fellow mobster's soup as a joke. Now, nobody has ever been charged or convicted in the disappearance and presumed death of John Favara. I guess it is similar to the Hoffa story on a smaller scale. Everyone has an opinion of what happened. Some people claim to have been there or be in the know. But we have a general understanding of the murder, its participants, and the outcome, but we'll never really know the exact details. When doing an interview on 60 Minutes years later, John Gotti Jr. was asked if he believed that his father had anything to do with the disappearance of John Favara, and John Gotti Jr. responded, probably. The disappearance and murder that took place on this day, July 28, 1980, has been replayed in numerous movies, TV shows, and books. It's a story that is always told when discussing the infamous John Gotti. I'm John Curran. Thank you for listening. As always, please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast. It would really mean a lot to help the show grow. Check us on Instagram at This Day in the Mob. And most importantly, tune in tomorrow, July 29th, to find out what happened on... That day in the mob.